This is the life, eh, Salisbury? Not having to get up for work on a Friday. Leanne's Spare Fridays, written and read by J.Y. Savile, with Parkin as Lord Salisbury. Episode 1, Sourdough Starter. Having a lie-in that first morning when we'd switched to a four-day week, it was kind of like being on holiday, but I knew it wasn't a one-off. It was a bit closer to that cheeky feeling when you know you're about to ring in sick, but in all honesty, you could drag yourself into work if you really had to. Like you've been given the gift of a spare day and somehow managed to get one over on the man at the same time. I had every intention of savouring it for a while, then after a leisurely breakfast, wandering up to the library and finally getting down to researching that history of the village I've been threatening to write ever since I moved here. My sister, naturally, had other ideas. Fancied a chat while she was out power walking, she said, at this hour. But then she thought I'd be on my way to work. Can you believe when I said, not anymore, she said, tell me you didn't really hand your notice in over the historical accuracy of that plaque, Leanne? No, Faith. Anyway, I finally got them to leave the disputed dates off it, but I didn't tell Gina that. She doesn't listen to me anyway. She claimed to have temporarily forgotten that we've all gone down to four days, and of course it all came flooding back the moment I mentioned it, but it sounded to me like it came as a total surprise. So of course the next thing, she wants to know my plans for the day. She asked like it was a simple friendly question, but I knew one false move and I'd be in trouble. I hesitated too long and she pounced. Fecklessly Anne has clearly made no plans whatsoever. Now you might argue that I had, and I could just tell her about the leisurely breakfast and the peaceful research and so forth, but those are not the sort of plans Gina approves of. And anyway, I couldn't get a word in, she's banging on about structure and timetables, frittering hours away and squeezing all the worth out of a day. It's exhausting just listening to her. She went down to four days after maternity leave a few years back, and once, while Jasmine was at nursery, she had a long bath with expensive bubbles and an Alison Moyer soundtrack. She seems to have felt guilty about it ever since. She said if she didn't keep an eye on me, I'd spend all day cuddling Lord Salisbury and reading Victorian newspapers, and if I could take the cat to the library, I'd be in heaven. Don't tell his lordship, but I could buy an online subscription and read Victorian newspapers in the flat. It's not the same, though. I like the smell of the library. Actually, she didn't call him Lord Salisbury. She called him that overweight furball, which I think is plain rude, so when she offered to swing by after she'd made this week's sourdough and take me to a sodding Pilates class with her so I didn't waste my entire day, I mean Pilates, honestly, I told her I was busy. And then I panicked when she wanted details, my brain short-circuited, and I basically regurgitated what she'd said to me, sourdough and exercise. I wouldn't have expected anyone to be able to laugh that hard while power walking, but that's our Gina, multitasker to the core. Of course she brought up the sausage roll incident. I was 14 and it was only a small fire. Gran stepped back in time. I know nothing about sourdough. Gina jumped on the bandwagon during lockdown but I've managed to avoid getting dragged into it. It did worry me slightly when she said she would have had me down as too impulsive for anything that requires that much preparation and effort. But when she said, it just goes to show, doesn't it? I could see the smirk down the sodding phone line. Over the airwaves, whatever you have with a mobile. Impulsive. I'll give her impulsive. She's going to come round and sample it this afternoon. 
but in the meantime she wants to see progress photos on Twitter, she says. I'm still claiming not to be on Instagram. I only log in to spy on Gina. How hard can it be to bake a loaf of bread? If she can do it, I can do it, surely. Salisbury, what have I done? So, five minutes on the settee with my tablet and a cuppa, and I found out what Gina meant about being organised. I'm supposed to have made a sourdough starter days ago. It sounds disgusting. You collect all the muck floating around in the air and it makes your pot of flour go all funny. Then you bake bread with it. But then Salisbury would eat raw blue tits if I let him. It takes all sorts. Obviously, I didn't have sourdough starter. And I couldn't ask Gina for some. To be honest, most people in this village probably had sourdough starter in the fridge. It's that sort of a place. But maybe because it's that sort of a place, I hadn't really got to know anyone. I moved here when Jasmine was born, so I was in walking distance. I was technically in walking distance before, but it was more of a full day hike than a ten minute stroll. Upper Wheatley is more Gina's sort of village than mine, shall we say. We're not in Bingley now, Toto. Hence, I suppose, wanting to write a history of the place so I form a connection. But that didn't help me with the bread making. I ran down to ask the cyclist guy in the flat below. He seemed a good bet. He wears oatmeal jumpers with crossover necks. But when I knocked, there was no answer, so I ran back up. There are three flats in the house, but I'd already seen the couple on the ground floor leaving for work. I was about to despair or look up same-day delivery from one of the many sourdough inspiration websites when there was a knock on the door. It was the man from downstairs and the first thing he said was, had he caught me at a bad time? It took me a moment, but then I realised I'd shouted, don't you dare, as I opened the door. So I said, it's fine, it's just that Lord Salisbury can't resist a mug of tea, which seemed to make things worse. And I had to explain that I meant my cat, not the Victorian Prime Minister. And then we just stood and stared at each other for a bit until I asked him what he wanted. Given the look on his face, I had an idea it must have been important or he'd have given up sooner. So it was a bit surprising when he accused me of playing knockdown ginger. Had he missed the memo about traditional prank Friday? I mean, he didn't actually refer to it as knockdown ginger. Do people still call it that, apart from me? But he did seem to think I'd knocked on his door and run away. Which, I suppose I had, but not in the way he thought. So I explained I'd been moved on to a four-day week, and he said if I was trying to gloat, it wouldn't work because he runs his own business, so he can have a day off whenever he feels like it. It wasn't really going too well at this point. I said, I came to ask if you had any sourdough starter I could use, which at least made him laugh. He said it was very on-brand for Upper Wheatley, and he might have known sugar would have too high a glycemic index or whatever for the village, and thanks for not culturally stereotyping him. Apparently he meant I hadn't assumed a Scotsman would still have a cup of sugar to borrow, but as I said to him, I hadn't realised he was Scottish till he came to the door and started talking. In my defence, he's only been downstairs for six months or so, but I think that narked him, and he said, have a nice day off, Leanne, and started down the stairs. Well, I had to follow him. How did he know my name? Turns out he's heard Gina telling me off. I call that nosy. Douglas. His name's Douglas. Calls it being observant. Finally, I get to the crux of my crisis. I need to make a sourdough loaf to prove to my sister I'm not a disorganised waste of space. Douglas said if I wasn't a disorganised waste of space, I'd have got my tools together beforehand, which I think is cheeky considering we've only just met. Anyway, he buys his sourdough from the bakery down by the bridge, as, it seems, does everybody else in the village. He cycled down at the crack of dawn and still got pipped to the last olive sourdough by a smug-looking woman in lycra. He didn't fight for it because she seemed vaguely familiar and he was worried she might be a client. 
Leanne, he said, you live 30 yards from a co-op. Buy a loaf and tell her you made it. She would never know. Oh, she would, Douglas. She would. I did nip across to the co-op, but only to see if this old sourdough starter, which they don't. And nobody online does same-day delivery either. If I was forward-thinking enough to order it in advance, I'd have been forward-thinking enough to make my own last weekend. There's a gap in the market there, if you ask me. The one place in Upper Wheatley guaranteed to have some sourdough starter was Gina's house. There was nothing for it but to go over and nick some. She didn't seem that chuffed to see me, but then she rarely does. When she said she wanted me to be in Jasmine's life, she clearly didn't mean, and also in mine. I gave her some guff about her having inspired me to go for a brisk walk while my dough was rising, but I'd come over all warm and I needed a cold drink. She pointed out I was only ten minutes from home, but I took that as an invitation and went straight to the fridge and asked where the fancy juice was. She said she didn't exist to subsidise my expensive tastes. What kind of a thing is that to say to your little sister? So it gave me great pleasure to swipe the only jar of creamy beige goop I could spot while she was getting me a small glass of tap water. I couldn't see much evidence of bread making, but Gina's kitchen always looks like it's in a showroom and she must have got going by this time. I told her I'd changed my mind about a drink and toddled off home to make bread, take photos and get Gina out of my hair so I could finally get round to starting my nice relaxing day off. When I got home and took the jar out of my coat pocket, it did look worryingly full, like she hadn't used any of it herself yet. I showed Salisbury where the cat biscuits were in case she murdered me and he had to fend for himself Then I checked Instagram to see if she'd gone ballistic in public. If she hadn't, I might be able to sneak the remainder back into her fridge before I got into trouble. Judging by all the photos of Doe, it hadn't slowed her down. Gina is habitually one for spares and backup plans, so it looked like I might get away with it. I measured out the flour and water, tipped some stuff from the jar into the bowl and sniffed it. Homemade rice pudding she'd put through the blender. No wonder it hadn't set her back. I ran down and knocked on Douglas's door. This time I even stayed till he answered, and I smiled when he made some crack about me coming to gloat about still not being at work. The moment after I'd asked him if he was sure he didn't have any sourdough starter, or had he been pretending earlier because he didn't really know me, it occurred to me that it might not have been the best approach. I got more sarcasm and an invitation to inspect his kitchen. I tried to explain that it wasn't so much disbelief as desperation, since I'd accidentally added rice pudding to my mixture. He said only a numpty would mistake rice pudding for fermenting flour, and if that was my skill level, then the only way to get an edible loaf would be to take his advice and buy one. While he might be right, I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of saying so, so I pointed out that if I bought a loaf, I wouldn't have the work-in-progress photos to put on Twitter, which he found hilarious. I wouldn't have had you down as the compulsive selfie type, he said. How would you know? I said, you've never spoken to me before today. And then he had the cheek to say that was my fault and it was downright rude of me not to have introduced myself. I said he hadn't introduced himself either, but he said he shouldn't have had to, he was here first. Then he said he had work to do and he closed the door. The more I think about it, the more I wonder if the previous guy downstairs didn't move out after all. He might just have shaved his beard off. Mind you, I never introduced myself to him either. I can't believe people spend so long making a loaf of bread. There's a reason you can just buy it in a shop these days. They get so serious about it too. Who would have thought there were so many podcasts about sourdough? The one about the history of it was actually quite interesting. Ancient Egypt, who'd have thought it? 
Unfortunately, I couldn't find anything about quick sourdough or sourdough shortcuts. By this point, it was practically time for elevenses, and you have to leave the dough to rise for three hours between kneadings. Twice. Even if I found a neighbour with some starter to spare, I wouldn't have time to bake a loaf before Gina turned up. It didn't help that I'd had to take some time out to clear up the vomit. What kind of idiot cat tries to eat a bowl of cold rice pudding and flour? I was going to have to cheat. Gina posted pictures of utensils and dough and stuff on Instagram, so all I needed were similar photos to tweet with some comments about what hard work it's all been, and then I could pop off to the library. Buy a loaf from the co-op on the way home, and hey presto, Gina need never know the difference, hopefully. Sometimes I swear she's listening in. Of course she's checking up on me because I haven't been tweeting work in progress shots. She's not even on Twitter. I had to tell her I'd been so busy I hadn't had a chance to post the many and varied pictures I'd taken and as soon as I'd finished on the phone I'd write the commentary and stick them online. I swore it was all going swimmingly. She just swore. Apparently she'd lost a jar of rice pudding and it was driving her nuts. It had undone all the good this morning's yoga had done her. How on earth do you lose a jar of rice pudding, Gina? I asked, all innocence and trying not to laugh. She'd had everything out of the fridge and everything out of the dishwasher in case Richard had eaten it without telling her. She'd really been looking forward to that rice pudding. She even asked if I'd seen it this morning. I had eyes only for expensive juice, I said, and she harumphed and said she had to get to book club, but she'd call in after Pilates to see how I'm doing. God, I hope she's not listening in. The thing about the photo-mad sourdough makers online is that they all had kitchens like Gina's. It's like a letter gets sent round middle-class households every few years telling them it's time to upgrade the kitchen and bathroom with a handy list of approved tiles and sinks attached. Maybe not all of them look like Gina's, but absolutely none of them look like mine. So I couldn't just swipe someone else's pictures. But if I could find a similar-looking kitchen that didn't have flour all over the worktops and a pile of washing up next to the sink... I could take pictures of it, then Photoshop bread-making activity into them. Even better, if I could find a friendly neighbour with a kitchen like Gina's, I could use some ready-made photos, tell Gina I'd had to go bake out of Salisbury's way. Douglas greeted me with the news that he wasn't working either this time, so gloating was out of the question. I asked if the invitation to inspect his kitchen still stood, but he said it had been sarcasm so I tried to explain about the photos I needed and that after an hour of searching I couldn't find a single kitchen that looked like mine. He managed to take this as some kind of kitchen fashion survey. Why would I want to reassure myself that Douglas's kitchen was as outdated as mine? Eventually he let me in anyway because he said his soup was going cold and he wasn't prepared to waste any more time on the doorstep with me. Technically he doesn't have a doorstep, but I didn't think he was in the mood for me to point that out. He doesn't have a kitchen like Gina's either. Or like mine. My kitchen's in my living room and was last done out in the early 80s. Douglas's, like Gina's, is a separate room. But hers is huge and it's all granite worktops and kitchen islands and tasteful tiling. Not like Douglas's at all. Somehow Douglas interpreted that as me insulting the size and decor of his kitchen. People can be so thin-skinned. So then because he was grumpy about letting his soup go cold and taking offence at a straightforward comparison... He decided it was my fault I was in this mess. I shouldn't have told Gina I'd taken pictures of non-existent dough. That's all very well for him to say, but he doesn't have Gina as a sister. He even suggested I admit to her I was lying. 
or tell her I'd accidentally deleted them all, but that would only start her on at me about backups. He did apologise for having the wrong kind of work top when I showed him Gina's Instagram, but he might have been being sarcastic again. I said I may as well go have lunch, then clean my kitchen so it's fit for publication, take some photos of my work tops and splice someone else's dough onto it. And just when I was about to leave him on an amicable note, he started being patronising about convincing digital manipulation being much harder than it looks. You need the light to be the same direction and temperature. You need to blend the join well. What software was I using? I said, look, there's no need to try and show off just because you've airbrushed a few lampposts out of holiday snaps. Did I mention he's a graphic designer? Oh no, that's right, because he hadn't sodding well told me. How does grout get in such a state? Although if Salisbury wasn't so scared of the extractor hood noise, I dare say it wouldn't have got quite as bad next to the hob. And if Gina hadn't persuaded us out of our nice terraced house in Bingley, I'd have more worktop to choose from for the photos. I only had a dozen followers on Twitter, and by early afternoon, three of them were asking where my sourdough photos had got to. I shouldn't have promised photos, but it was in case Gina checked for activity after I'd last spoken to her. Douglas had grudgingly offered to splice a couple of photos for me if I gave him suitable specimens of worktop and dough, but I couldn't take pictures of the worktop until it was clean and presentable enough, which I'll admit was taking a bit longer than anticipated. Salisbury had been waiting so long for his lunch that he'd moved on to the pity me mew, where he opens his mouth but doesn't make a sound as though he no longer has the energy. He had the energy to shred the back of the settee though, so I called the worktop ready, dropped a scoop of biscuits into his dish and moved on to the lighting. I never realised how badly lit my kitchen was. I'd just moved the standard lamp across the room to try and counteract the shadow from the tea caddy when there was a knock at the door. Douglas, asking if I'd changed my mind or if I was trying to show off my free time by going at such a leisurely pace. You can see why he lives alone. Nevertheless, I invited him in because I was almost ready to take photos of the worktop and as soon as he stepped into the living room, No, 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 what is this, a film set? He pointed out the multiple shadows and criticised my harsh lighting, moved my lamps and then had the cheek to say he couldn't stay long because he was expecting a call from a client. He said he'd take the worktop photos himself if I showed him the pictures of the dough and everything so he could use suitable angles. Of course I hadn't actually got round to choosing them so he said I was on my own then because he didn't have time to faff about. And I still think he hadn't known me long enough to say that he should have known I wouldn't have got my act together. It was only when he asked when Gina was due and pushed me for an actual clock time rather than between Pilates and picking Jasmine up that I twigged that I'd run out of time. Can you believe he actually laughed? He patted me on the shoulder, told me I'd better hair over to the co-op double quick and asked me to let him know how impressed Gina was with my baking. If I had actually baked a loaf of sodding sourdough, I would have made Douglas eat a slice, serve him right. I go to the co-op a fair bit. I'd be daft not to, really. Having a shop in your street means whatever you fancy eating or drinking, you don't have to have thought ahead. You just nip over and buy it when the fancy takes you. As long as they stock it. And for an awful moment, I thought they had no sourdough. But then I found it behind the rye bloomers and ran to the till. I'd missed out on a two-for-one offer. I said I didn't mind, but Kelly was insistent. I'm happy to chat to her normally, but I pointed out I was in a bit of a hurry and I was willing to pass it up. But it seemed such a shame. The olive one, she said, went lovely with hummus. 
She wasn't going to let it drop. And I remembered Douglas had missed out at the bakery, so I ran back to the bread display, Kelly helpfully shouting over that I was looking for the one with little dark bits in. I made the mistake of saying as I put it on the counter that I may as well get this for Douglas. Not Scottish Douglas, who lives opposite and looks like a poet. Do poets cycle and wear oatmeal jumpers? Well, I suppose some of them must. I pointed to our front door to clarify that I meant Douglas who lived there and saw Gina's car pulling in. Kelly would not be hurried. She was finding it hard to believe Douglas was a friend of mine, having never seen us together. You can live in a nice village, or you can have a private life, but you can't do both. I confessed that we were in fact just neighbours, bare acquaintances, and could she let me pay please because my sister looked like she was winding up her hands-free conversation. No, I did not have a membership card. I should have known Kelly wouldn't let that go either. She knows I have a membership card. Also, she pointed out that it was hanging off my keys, and then pointed to my keys when I hid them behind my back and said, What keys? It would have been quicker just to use it in the first place. The last thing I heard as I hurled myself through the automatic doors was, Well, I never knew they were flats. Douglas was in his doorway to ask if I'd been successful. I shouted, have the olive one, as I threw a loaf at him and took the next flight two at a time. Salisbury, of course, was lying in wait in case I'd brought him food. I ripped the wrapping off, slammed the loaf on the breadboard and then realised I was supposed to have only just got this out of the oven. It was cold. The oven was cold. I switched the oven on just as Gina knocked and walked straight in. Which meant the first thing she did was berate me for leaving the front door unlocked. Oh no, I tell a lie. The first thing she did was tell me how Pilates had been spoilt by that missing jar of rice pudding preying on her mind. And Richard hadn't broken it because he wouldn't have cleaned up well enough for her not to have found him out. I made sure I was blocking her view of the washed jar on my draining board. Then she berated me for leaving my front door unlocked. Nice villagers do not solely harbour nice people, Leanne. I thought it might reassure her if I said I must have forgotten to shut it when I went to see Douglas but i just got the third degree about Douglas and how come I'd made a friend without her knowing. Friend's a bit strong, but I didn't dare correct her and she moved on to the loaf. She wanted to know why the breadboard was balanced on the radiator, which was a good question as the heating wasn't even on so the bread was still cold. I told her it seemed like the best place to put it while I cleaned the worktop and she tuttered and held it up for inspection. Hardly even singed around the edges was her first impression. Then she waved her hand imperiously and I guess she meant, please pass me the bread knife, which I did, but to balance it out, I told her to get her own butter. Second impression was, not bad consistency for a beginner, but I'm surprised you've put olives in. I didn't think you liked them. Damn, I'd given Douglas the wrong one. With only a slight hesitation, I said I'd made it specially for Gina, and then Douglas went and ruined it by walking in and broadcasting to the room that I'd given him the plain loaf by accident the plain loaf that was still wrapped in a co-op branded bag. I should have berated Gina for leaving my door unlocked, but I didn't get a chance before the onslaught. I did my best to make the introductions, but Douglas already knew who Gina was anyway, and Gina didn't care because she was too busy telling me how lies get you nowhere. Laziness had always been one of my biggest problems, and incidentally saying some quite hurtful things about Lord Salisbury. He's pleasantly cuddly. She'll give him a complex. We were happily yelling at each other, Gina criticising everything about me including my inability to drive a car and me wondering why I'd bothered to leave my nice house with friends nearby in a garden for Salisbury if I was considered such a poor role model to Jasmine when Douglas said, 
Ladies, please. Which did at least shut Gina up as she drew breath to round on him for the casual sexism. But before she could, he told her she'd been getting off topic and he was really interested to hear what she had to say about honesty. The way he smiled should have told her it was a trap. I had no idea where he was going, but I was fascinated to see. Gina was too busy taking the moral high ground to notice she was straying into quicksand. We were back on me being a lousy role model for my niece, a sneaker and a shirker, and she was just warming to the theme of moral degeneracy as evidenced by promising photographs on Twitter of activity that didn't exist, when Douglas cut her off. Gina looked awfully familiar, he declared. Not just in a seen-you-around-visiting-your-sister kind of a way, but had he bumped into her recently? Say, this morning? At the bakery down by the bridge? With hindsight, I think he was trying to prompt a confession, but Gina doesn't do confession. She tried to brazen it out and claim she had a doppelganger. In a village this small, I think we would have realised sooner. So Douglas tried another tack. He got his phone out and showed Gina her own Instagram, told her how much of an inspiration she'd been to me. Even then, Gina just preened and said she hoped that was true. When he commented on how many home bakers seemed to have kitchens like hers, she did falter. Suddenly, it was imperative that she leave that instant or she'd be late for Jasmine. Before she'd taken more than a step, Douglas showed me a webpage he'd run across earlier when he was doing something called a reverse image search. He was right. The picture halfway down the page did look just like one of Gina's from this morning. The way the tea towel was draped and everything. Except Gina's was slightly narrower. Gina, I said. Theirs has an extra strip of wall visible down the side. With an American style plug socket in it. I sincerely hope she doesn't let Jasmine hear her use words like that. Oh, and while she was distracted... I slipped the rice pudding jar in her handbag so she'll think she ate it herself all along. That'll teach her to be rude about my cat. That was Leanne's Spare Fridays, written and read by J.Y. Savile. Produced by J.Y. Savile with assistance from Andrew Woods. I would be totally chuffed if you'd subscribe to this podcast and if you enjoyed it, please spread the word. You can find me on Twitter at J.Y. Savile.